0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Those who are faltering in their faith are doing so because in some way or another, they have lost sight of the supremacy of the Son of God. Listen, if we lived with the constant understanding of the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ, we would not falter. There would be no consideration of going back to the world.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in a message titled, The Supremacy of the Son of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: Today, we're going to be looking at the first three verses of the first chapter. So let me read them. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we come to these great, great verses, this amazing introduction to the epistle. And this is one of those passages that every time I read it, I'm awed by it. Theologians refer to passages like this as Christological passages. So there there are passages in the New Testament that really go into great detail in describing just who Jesus Christ is. So this is one of them, Colossians chapter one, we find a, a similar kind of a passage. Of course, John's Gospel chapter one, is another strongly Christological passage, but these are all texts that in in some sense are daunting when you come to them. Because you know, you look, you look at this and you think, how, how could I ever do justice to what is stated here? How how could we ever you know thoroughly plumb the depths of the the person of Christ and who he is? But, it, but it's such a tremendous passage. And of course, the author who is concerned that his writers are drifting away because they've lost sight of the glory and the greatness of Christ, he's motivated by that to, to bring before them once again the glory of the Lord. And so that's what he does here in the passage. Hebrews, as we pointed out, was written to those who were faltering in their profession of faith. Remember, we talked about how some years have transpired now. They joyfully embrace the message of Jesus as the Messiah initially, but now as time has gone on and things haven't maybe worked out exactly like they had hoped that they would and the Lord hasn't come back and set up the Davidic kingdom at this point, they've begun to lose heart and they're considering going back to the former things, but they were faltering because they had lost sight of the glorious majesty of Christ. That's what had happened. As we sometimes say it, they took their eyes off the Lord and they got their eyes on the world around them and they got their eyes on their own situation and their own circumstances and they lost sight of the Savior. And so the writer sets out to immediately correct their error by setting forth the unique glory of the Son of God. And that's what he does in the verses that we just read. Now, it is quite often the case in our day as well that those who are faltering in their faith are doing so because in some way or another they have lost sight of the supremacy of the Son of God. Listen, if we lived with the constant understanding of the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ, we would not falter. There would be no consideration of going back to the world. We would realize that, that there's nothing to go back to. If we take these verses to heart that we are looking at here today, this is going to keep us from ever drifting away it's going to keep us fixed and focused because if we keep all of this at the forefront of our mind we realize that that Jesus is is it he's the ultimate there there is nothing else there is nothing that's even remotely comparable to him and his glory so if if we've drifted at all the surest way back to where we should be in our relationship with god is through laying hold of who Jesus truly is. And according to our text, listen, he is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the express image or exact image of his person. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the redeemer. He is the ruler of the universe. Those are the seven things that the author begins this epistle with, where his objective is to bring them back to seeing the greatness and the glory of the Son of God, so that any thought whatsoever of going back to a dead religion or going back to the world, that it's just completely obliterated from their minds. And so we want to look at these seven points. And, you know, actually, if you look at each one of these seven points I mentioned, you you could preach for years on these topics, but we're going to attempt in just a few minutes to do justice to the passage. So may God help us. Beginning with, he is the appointed heir of all things. God has appointed his son, the father has appointed his son to be the heir of all things. Listen, everything belongs to Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything belongs to Jesus Christ. We're told in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. Everything that there is belongs to him. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter one, that all things were made by him and they were made for him. So this is a reality that we need to lay hold of. Everything belongs to Jesus. He is God's heir. He's the heir of all things. And listen, Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, that we are joint heirs with Christ. So if we're feeling like we're missing out on something, if we're feeling like, oh, maybe I need to go back to something else because you know, at at this point, Jesus isn't quite doing for me what I expected him to do, hold on. Remember, he's the heir of all things and you're a joint heir with him. So everything belongs to the Lord. Now, a bit of a side note, but it's related. Uh, Islam, of course, is a big issue in our world today. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the, but the stated goal of Islam is world domination. This is what uh, a, 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 a worldwide caliphate is what uh, Islam has always sought. They've, they've always come short of it, but nonetheless, this is what they're seeking. And the interesting thing to me about this is it's not so much that within Islam that the whole world is converted to Islam What's more important in Islam is that the whole world is subjected to Islam. And so for Islam, really, it's, it's not so much about people or souls. It's more about real estate. So the Islamic vision is that uh, Islam would control every square foot of real estate. That planet Earth would come under the dominion of Allah through, through Islam. And the reason that's interesting to me is because really what we see is those principalities and powers behind this, uh, this religion, what they're seeking to do is take ownership of that which belongs to Christ. The earth is his and everything in it. And, you know, if you think about it, we see in the news with ISIS, which is a ISIS, what, what they are is the Islamic state, right? Uh, they've they've established a new caliphate. Now their uh, geographical uh, dominion is is somewhat limited at this point, but their intentions are to dominate the whole world. And what do we see them doing as they go into these different places, as they go into these communities where they have ancient churches and uh, ancient monuments and things that that point back to the Christian era and so forth, what do we see them doing? We see them seeking to obliterate all of that. We see them going in and destroying these churches, destroying these monuments and things because, again, the goal is to to rid the earth of any references to Jesus. But you can't do it. It's impossible because the earth is his. And everything in it. And think of that Psalm that we read together this morning, because the Psalm is connected to what we're talking about. Remember there in the Psalm, the Lord is speaking, the father is speaking to the son and he says, ask of me and I shall give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. This is what God has done. He's given the earth and everything in it to Christ. Now, here's what we need to remember. And the psalm reminds us, as we oftentimes find ourselves, you know, here we sit, we're sort of wringing our hands, we're we're you know, we're feeling so defeated sometimes. We're thinking, Oh God, look what they're doing, and you know, listen to what they're saying, and how they're blaspheming you, and how they're they're denying the that Christ is the Lord, and they're trying to to drive even even in our own country, they're trying to rid the culture of any presence of Christ and and getting getting Christ out of the the public sphere. And and so often we find ourselves, we're, we're so overwhelmed by that and we're so discouraged by that. And we sit on earth sometimes wringing our hands over this, but remember what God is doing. God is sitting in heaven and he's not wringing his hands. God is sitting in heaven and he's laughing. This is a joke. You think you can overthrow me? You think you can overthrow my Son, that I have appointed heir of all things. No, God says, "No, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion." Oh, that reminds me as well. I think uh, you know today one of the great evils in the world. We hear from the Islamic world, we hear it from the 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 secular humanist world that one of the great evils in the world is Zionism. Oh, Zionism is bad, and those Zionists. But you know what? God is. Set his king upon his holy hill of Zion. And it's just a matter of time before the Lord demonstrates to all of the world who's in charge. Jesus, he owns it all. And he's going to come at a certain point, and his throne is going to be set upon Mount Zion, and he's going to rule with that rod of iron that we read about. He's going to rule the world from that very place, demonstrating once and forever that he is truly the heir of all things. So since that is the case, we should not be looking around at the world and Neither should we be lamenting the the seeming advance of of the enemy because we know that his defeat is soon, but nor should we be looking around and enviously longing for the the things of the world that maybe other people, wicked people, are are having control of, and we're looking and thinking, well, you know, that seems unfair, and we we should get a little bit of the, the blessing as well. Our day is coming when our king sits upon the holy hill, being there declared as the appointed heir of all things. So he's the appointed heir. But then we're told, secondly, that he is the creator of all things. Jesus is the creator. And many, many times over, if we go back to the very first verse of the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then the further we go in the biblical revelation, the more it becomes clear that the father is the the architect, if you will. He's He's the mastermind behind creation, but it's the son who actually brings the creation about. So everything was made by Jesus Christ. And I love the way John put it in the third verse of the first chapter of his gospel. He put it so emphatically. He said this, he said, all things were made by him and without him, Not one single thing that was made was made without him. Not one single thing. There's nothing that exists that wasn't made by Christ. He made everything. I mean, think about that. You know, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think of Jesus in ways that are so far below the way we should be thinking of him. We we forget, and like I said, we feel bad and sorry, and oh, Jesus, you know, how come you're not doing anything? No, he's, he's made everything. He made it all from the largest heavenly bodies contained within the 100 billion stars multiplied by the 100 billion galaxies that were told about by the scientists. So, the largest of those heavenly bodies. He made that, but he also made the subatomic particles that fill the universe. He made everything. There's nothing that was made, not a single thing that was made, that was made apart from him. He made it all. The earth that we stand on, he made it. Every insect, every animal, every plant, every tree, the water that's unique to our planet, the water that we drink and we clean with and we are refreshed by the air that we breathe, he made all of it. And of course, he made us as well. So he is the creator of all things. And so as we go about our daily life, it's so easy to, to just lose sight of this. And we lose sight of this and we get worried and we start fretting. And then sometimes we get tempted to think that maybe there's, there's something that we're missing out out there on. And we, you know, we, we get pulled back in the direction of the world. But if we just stop and think, you know, as you go through your day, as you walk out of your house in the morning and you look at, you know, the, the flowers, the bushes, the trees, the, the beautiful sky above you, you stop and think, Jesus made all of this. He made it all. You know, occasionally you see an insect here or there, right? You know, you, you look at that thing and sometimes you look at an insect and you think, wow, this, you know, this is like a like a little monster or something, you know? And, and wow, how, how amazing just the, the, the creative the wisdom that must have gone into this this little thing. You, know, you look at that, or you look at an animal, any kind of an animal. You look at a you know maybe there's a hummingbird in your backyard that's just you know they're um, hovering uh, around a, a flower or something like that. Here's my point: when we look at these things, do we stop to think, wow, Jesus made these things? We should because He did. That's what the Bible tells us. He made all of these things. He's the creator of everything. When we look in the mirror, when we marvel at our own ability to think and to feel and to love, and all of those things that are are part of us as, as humanity, it's all because he made everything. He's the creator of all things. But then the author goes on and he says that he is the brightness of God's glory, He is the brightness of God's glory. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian from back in the 1700s, he said that the sun and and all of creation, Jonathan Edwards had an interesting take on things. You know, sometimes we look at something in creation and we say, oh, that reminds me of, you know, some some aspect of maybe God's character or nature or something like that. Jonathan Edwards says God made creation the way he did as a a testimony. He's speaking through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows uh, or the firmament shows his handiwork day into day utter speech, night into night shows forth knowledge. So Edwards says that regarding the son in the son itself, you have a picture of, of the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. And I like the way he put it. He said, the Father, the Son itself, the, the core of the Son is the Father. The rays of the Son are Christ. And that's really what the author is saying right here. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the brightness. He is the outshining of who God is. When you go out today and you look up into the sky and you look at the Sun, what are you seeing? Well, in a sense, you're you're seeing the sun, yes, but you're not seeing the sun. You're seeing the rays of the sun. You're seeing the radiance of the sun. And that's what the author is telling us, that Christ, he is the radiance, he is the brightness of God's glory. So it's, we see God through Christ. He is the one who is shining forth who God is. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul tells us that It's a God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Edward said one more thing, I'll just add it. It's not uh, necessarily connected to what we're talking about, but he said the warmth of the sun is the, is the Holy Spirit. I think, oh, that's such a beautiful picture the sun itself the father the rays of the sun the lord jesus the the warmth that we feel that's we experience god through the spirit and so he is the brightness of god's glory and then he says he's he is the express image of his person what the author is saying to these hebrews what he's reminding them of and what he's telling us subsequent generations is exactly what the Bible tells us over and over again, that Jesus is the human manifestation of God. He is the express image of his person. Or another translation reads, he is the exact representation. And this refers to the image on a coin, This is what would have come to the mind of the reader at Paul's time. It would come to mind the image on a coin, which perfectly corresponds to the image on the die. So, what the author is telling us is that Jesus is therefore completely the same in his being as the Father. However, there is still an important distinction. Both exist separately, as do the die and its image. So you've got the coin with the image on it, but then you've got the die from which it was made, but the image on the coin is exactly what you have on the die. And so with Christ, Jesus said himself, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So if we want to know what God is like, and we've said this many times before, but let me say it again. If you wanna know what God is like, this is what you do. You open the New Testament and you read through the Gospels. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you see Jesus in action, as you see him living out his life and relating to people, and as you see his love and his mercy and his compassion and all of those things, you're seeing God. He is is the exact representation of his person. And then He says this, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. Now here's the amazing thing to me in this statement here. He says he upholds currently, presently upholds all things by the word of his power.
0: The month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you, at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews.